Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast that no one's going to listen to. And the mass that no one will go to with the fourth Sunday in Advent. So listen up, because this is all you're getting. This is a liturgically weird moment Dude, in time, Father Peter. I, I Everyone is supposed... Let's just be clear. Everyone should go to mass. And when you we say to should, to you're obliged you to go to mass. You are obliged to go to mass. <laughs> but this is a very weird moment in liturgy. This is... Surely this has happened before, like... Don't call me Shirley, seven, seven years ago, I guess. Well, this, is, this is the year that we 11. don't get a fourth week of Advent. 11. I mean, yeah, it, which made Gaudete Sunday kind of weird, I just got to say. Like, I'm wearing pink, and I'm like, hey, it's half over. Well, three quarters over. Yeah. Yeah, three quarters over. Yeah, because I'm like, dude, we only got, like, it's just like, well, I mean, actually, we could we could debate about the fractionality of how much time was left over at Gaudete Let, Sunday, given that not. we don't have that. But Why don't we know? Like, it's, it's actually pretty hard to, like, have this on Monday, because, I mean, like, in 48 hours, every priest you know is going to be worked by the last Mass. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's, I mean, it, it has felt like this has been a really short Advent, and then I realized... Oh, it has. It's as short as it could possibly be. Yeah, if you don't know ever. what we're talking about, I'm sorry if we're taking a... We know that nobody's listening because it's, it's also right before Christmas, so even if it wasn't a liturgically short year, you wouldn't be listening because you're all going on vacation. But if you are <laughs> listening and caring, so this is the unique year that Christmas literally begins hours after the fourth Sunday of Advent yeah, happens. Absolutely. Which is strange, and it's got the whole world confused on, do we need to go to Mass on Sunday and on Christmas, and it's not the same Mass, and yes, you actually have to go to both, because the church says, no, Christmas is, it can't just be usurped into a Sunday Mass, Dude, can unless I, it's on a Sunday. Can I tell you that um, everybody's going to play the middle, and they're going to do the vigil Mass for Christmas? So, the, so you think the 4 o'clock Mass has been packed in the past? Uh-oh. It's going to be crazy packed because oh, they're like, no. oh, I'm just going to double up and go to that, which does not legit, uh, no, it's not legit. Uh, either. And so, so like literally, if you guys want a seat, you best be showing up because, man, I'll tell you, those little old ladies will throw some elbows. If you want a seat, go to Mass on Sunday morning and leave your coats there <laughs> and then just come back in a few hours. That's the trick. I just, I just figured out the secret to this for you. Dude, well done. Well, Thank hey, you. you're listening to The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. I'm Father Peter Musset. And I'm Scott Powell. And um, we're going to do the, we're going to be rebels and do the fourth Sunday in Advent this Absolutely. year, man. This is like, this is, this is what's needful and hopeful and filled with life. And in all fairness and, and with no negativity, I bet most priests are going to do a pretty brief homily for this Mass, knowing that Christmas Eve Masses start a couple hours later. So, you know, maybe this, this might not, we might not get a very long, you know, in-depth homily. And that, and that would be um, my hope as a preacher. <laughs> to give a short... <laughs> yeah, I, 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 my plan is that it's, because, I mean, like, a lot, of people are, a lot of people are not used to two masses in a day. Yeah, no, it's true. And, it's true, and they need, yeah, it's to be respected that they're actually doing what they need to do and they're there and yeah, so they're going to be back in a couple hours. <laughs> so our first reading is from 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 5, 8b to 12, 14a and 16. <laughs> You know, what the, you know what they call this? Piecemeal. Choppy. <laughs> chop, chop, choppy, chop. Yeah, yeah. I, how I was going to say, what, gonna what, say? Was the, what was the knife that slices and dices and still cuts a tin can? Cutco? No. Um, I don't know. It was some serrated knife that was on the TV in the 80s. Yeah, it sounds like a late night. It sounds like uh, something during repeats of, uh, of Bosom Buddies. Hey, Scott, what was the very first? I just brought out Bosom Buddies. Are you kidding me? Dude, you didn't, was, you're not even acknowledge dude, that? Okay, bulky Bartokamus, let's Ooh, do this, dude. Well played. Okay, sorry, what? That was Perfect Strangers, by the way. I know. 
Larry Appleton. <laughs> okay. Um, what was the first thing that you ever bought off of an infomercial? I've never bought something off of an infomercial, Father Peter. Dude, all right, we're going to watch TV together, and we're going to start <laughs> you off. Okay, our psalm is what? Our psalm is Psalm uh, 90, uh, 89, verse 2 to 3, 4 to 5, 27, and 29. And the response is coming from 2A. <laughs> the response. The response <laughs> is coming from 2A. I feel so bad no, it's still. it's great. It's great. 2A. <laughs> you, <laughs> no, no. You mixed it up. a number of years. Dude, a versicle is a particular character that is an R with a slash through it and a V with a slash through it. Those are both versicles. I don't believe anything you say. A responsicle is what you invented. You invented I it. did not did invent you it. Not? No, you, you, you took, you took sure. <laughs> the, the... So versicle is real. The versicle is a real oh, typographical well, reality. Then my world is only half crumbled. Right. And okay, well, that's, I, can, I can live with that. And then you naturally extended the versicle into the responsicle. Okay, well, I can live with that. As long as the versicle's still real, yeah, yeah. then I can, I can sleep at night. Okay. Okay, and then our second reading is Luke 1, nope. 67. not at all. Hold on. Um, I don't have a second reading. They you, forgot you, it. You should. It's Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27. Oh, no, like literally, literally my, I, I use iMissile. Nobody cares about the fourth Sunday of Advent. <laughs> I did the point on where they did even, even put the reading. Even your app. <laughs> oh, it's Romans 16, oh, 25 through 26. I really shouldn't be paying more attention, It's only man. three verses. What does it say? Do you want me to read it? Yes. Brothers and sisters, to him who can strengthen you, it's his closing. To him who can strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret for long ages but now manifested through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Dude, the obedience of faith verse, that's rocking. Do you know that uh, the obedience of faith shows up at the very end of the book of Romans and the very beginning of Romans? It is the concept that frames the entire book. Wow. More on that later. Don't call me a moron. I like to afford to hearing about it. Moron. <laughs> well played. Let's go to the first reading. How about the gospel? You want to tell us what the gospel is? Just real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you can tell, man. This is, Scott and I both need vacation. We're just... We are embodying the liturgical reality that will happen this Sunday. <laughs> That's okay. We're just, just, we're just living it. We're incarnating it. Dude, incarnation. We are Luke Van... 67 to 79. No. No. The not gospel at all. is Luke 1, 67 to 79. 26 through 38. Um, okay, dude, let's, let's. I think you're on a daily mass because uh, that's probably why. Dude, you don't I, got, have a I, got to, I got to change me some apps. Things dude. are up. Okay, Luke, 20, Luke 1, 26 through 38. We'll are get you, Father Peter's technology worked out. Ah. I, <laughs> I was trying to imitate. We had a cut right there yeah, so right. I could get my technology worked out. It's all worked out. Dude, I have, there's some people that were totally overlooking the fourth Sunday of Advent in my technology. So our gospel is Luke 1, 26 to 38. So yep. I'm, I'm, free, I'm free flying on this, this one right it's all here. Right. You know it. It's all, it's all familiar stuff. Yeah, that's why I was reading that. And I was like, this is all weird, man. Yeah, that is weird. I was like, I've read a lot of this stuff. All right, 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is um, one of the most important moments in... You know, I'm going to go as far as to say it's the, one of the most important moments in the Old Testament. It's not the most, but it's a very pinnacle moment. This is when God makes his covenant with David, right? 
So just to, to give the content, uh, context, not the content, the content as well. But the context here, and it, it says it, it says, When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells out there in a tent. Okay, so um, as far as what's happening in the book, if you, if you read through the story of David, right? I, I love the story of David. And David, um, ah, I mean, I, you could talk forever about David, right? Absolutely. He um, was anointed king by Samuel while there was still a really evil king in power. And so he was asked to God to basically wait and be patient for the moment that God gave him this authority that he could act on. And Saul sought his life and he had to hide in the wilderness and the desert. And he waited upon God and was patient. It was, it was beautiful. And then he fought all these battles and conquered God's enemies and all this stuff, right? So if you, if you read in the book of 2 Samuel, and I've heard this analogy before, the book of 2 Samuel is like riding on whitewater, right? You, you've, you've done whitewater stuff before, uh, right? Yeah, whitewater I love rafting it. And stuff. Absolutely. So if, if 2 Samuel chapters 1 through 6 is like a river, you're like dealing in the whitewater. You're in the big class fours, right? It's huge water, all the whites. And then you get to chapter 7, maybe the end of 6, and it turns into very soft, peaceful, slow-moving water. All, the whole thing slows down mm. because David has been fighting these battles. He's been on the run from his life. He's been waiting on God, and now the moment that he's been waiting for has kind of finally arrived. Okay. And it, even in our opening here, he finally has shalom. Mm. He's not fighting a war for the first time in his life. He has peace, and he has a moment to think. And as he's sitting in his giganto palace built out of cedar, he realizes, wait a second, the Lord is still out in the Coleman tent on the, in the driveway of the... That's not true, but yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's in his giant palace. That's what he's palace. saying. Yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's looking, and he's like, he's like the, we have not built the temple. Right. I have a giant palace, but we kind of forgot about the Lord in a lot of ways. He's still dwelling out there the same way he's been for hundreds of years. We need to do something about this. We need to build a temple. And, he, and, and you know, a lot of people have uh, looked at this passage very negatively in the sense that David built a palace for himself and forgot about the Lord. And that's you know, rightly so. We should think about it that way. But in another sense, he... he this is a moment of self-reflection. And how many times have we just thought about ourselves and not sat back to consider, wait a second, what is the bigger picture here? What right. am I forgetting? And he, and to his credit, he does that. And he says, no, God needs a temple. And so Nathan, the court prophet, the, the prophets are weird. Most of the prophets we encounter in the Old Testament are these weirdos who wander in from the wilderness and like, you know, are beating <laughs> bugs and yelling at people. But there's another kind of prophet, which is the court prophet, which is essentially the job of the court prophet was to be the conscience of the king mm. and the one who is supposed to call the king out to give him guidance, to spiritually assist him. This is what Isaiah, by the way, is. Oh. And so Nathan is that for David. And we see Nathan later on when he has his affair with Bathsheba and it's Nathan who is his conscience. And he so, comes and he says, you stole the lamb. Yeah, yeah. So here's the first, I don't know if this is the first time he shows up or not, but, but God says, hey, Nathan, this is what I'm thinking. What, what do you think? And Nathan's like, that sounds awesome. Do, do what you got in mind. This, the Lord is with you. This sounds great. And then Nathan goes to bed. and we, we, It's choppy. We cut through a lot of this. But Nathan goes to sleep, and the Lord comes to him in his sleep. And he's like, nope, you need to go and basically renege the building permit from David. Like, th this isn't the time. And what God says, there's this play on words. The, David wants to build a house for God, right, a temple. 
And God comes back and he says, no, 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 you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And when God says house, it's the word Beth, B-E-T-H, Beth, which is where the root of uh, Bethlehem, right, where Jesus was born, the house of bread. Or Bethel, right, the house of God. El means God. Lachem means bread. So I want to build you a house. God says, no, you're not going to build me a a bet. I'm going to build you a bet. I'm going to build you a house, a kingdom, a people. You bet. You bet. (laughs) Um, and he goes on, you know, he's like, if, there's, a, there's a great, uh, I didn't bring it with me, there's a great little um, commentary reflection by a guy named Eugene Peterson, who's a Protestant pastor, who, uh, he did the message Bible to paraphrase, which I don't always like paraphrases, but at times he really captures the beauty of stuff, and he, I love the way he, he translates this passage with basically God saying, no, I, I don't want you to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house, and if people see this massive construction project and this huge undertaking, they're going to give the impression that it's all about you, when in fact it's all about me, and I don't need your building project. I don't need mm. the grandiose of this. I'm okay. I'm content dwelling in this tent because I don't need a gigantic structure. There'll come a time for that, and under the reign of your son, that's going to be the proper time for this to happen, but right now it's not right, and right now I'm going to focus on building a kingdom that's going to come from you, and he says, your descendant will build me a house. In the most immediate context, you read this and you're like, oh yeah, Solomon, David's son, does build a temple. And that's one way to read it, but the way the church and the liturgy is actually pointing us this week, it's saying, yeah, Solomon does build a big house for God, but that's not ultimately what this prophecy is pointing ahead toward, right? Mm. When God says, I brought you from the pasture and the flock, I'm going to fix you as a, a place for my people Israel, and your descendant is going to build a house And your house is going to be a kingdom that will endure forever before me, and your throne shall stand firm. Mm. That's not ultimately fulfilled in Solomon. It's fulfilled in the gospel this week. Mm. And so that's a great place to kind of hold off and pick it back up. Because you can read through this um, and say, oh, the Lord promises this amazing covenantal promise to David through his son. Right. And Solomon builds a great, big, beautiful building. But then he falls out of favor with God and he commits profound, tremendous sin and actually ends up losing the kingdom to Israel through his son. The kingdom is going to be stripped away and a civil war will take place. And so you can read this and be like, wait, what happened? I thought God said that everything's going to be great under David's son, but his son blows it. So what's the answer? Well, the son is not referring to Solomon alone. Mm. So that's a great place to hold off and take us to the psalm. Yeah, which let's do it. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Um, I'm struck by the term. It, 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 there's a lot we could say, you know, academically about this psalm. It talks about the covenant. If you, if you take the psalm as a whole, it takes about, talks about all the covenants that God has formed with his people and how they're all really to be seen as one love relationship that God has with his people. And throughout time, even though there's individual moments, it's all wrapped together in God's eternal plan, right? Which is kind of beautiful because if you're somebody like David or even somebody like Solomon, you're like, well, we got to wait a really long time for this to happen. Mm. And what the psalm is pointing us to, and, and this is the reflection I think is right for us to have in Advent. What is Advent? It's the time that we think back to when God became incarnate, but also we look forward in hope to the time that he's going to come again. And as you it's have the said... the covenants of Christ, absolutely. Absolutely. And as you have said countless times on this podcast, well, probably not countless, but as you've said many times... I mean, we could count I, them if you had the patience. No, that would take a long time. Yeah. But it's your voice that reverberates in my head when I think about this, mm-hmm. in that the church's call to us is that we have to be prepared for Christ to come back at this moment and also ready for it to be another thousand years. 
So it's this yes. paradoxical moment of we have to be ready now, but also be ready to have the patience to wait a thousand more years. And that's what this psalm is sort of encapsulating. Forever, no matter how long it takes, I will sing the goodness of the Lord. Yes. Because I know that even if, he's, even if it seems that he's delayed, even if it takes a long time, even if a great deal of patience is asked of me, I will sing the goodness of God because it will come. Right. He will, and, and again, we're living in a, in a dark time in history when the cry of the lips of the people of God, I mean, I'm talking about 2017 here, we're saying when, how long, O oh Lord, are right. we going to dwell in this valley of darkness? Right. When are you going to lift the veil? And when are, when is, when are we going to be vindicated? When are we going to see reality for what it is? And what the church's answer is, we don't know when it's going to happen, but regardless, we must sing the goodness of the Lord. And it's going to happen. He's going to lift the veil but we have to be ready to wait a while. And we have to simultaneously prepared, be prepared for him to do it right now. Are right. we ready now? And are we you know, packed up? Do we have our backpack for the long haul as well? It's such a paradox to me. It's such a hard reality of our faith to live. And again, it's your voice that reverberates in my head when I think about that. And you know, I normally say it. I say we should be ready. Lord's come 20 minutes, man. We got like... He's, is that how long this podcast is going to be? Absolutely. <laughs> and we've got another, we have to be considered on what we're doing so that the church will be existent for another 10,000 years. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not talking like a short time. We're talking yeah. like, because I like 10,000. 1,000 years still feels kind of temporary. It's like, no, can, can what I'm doing yeah. right now be built upon? Yeah. Because... I mean, Which like, is what everything that is the church is based around. That's why the church, you know, everyone's like, oh, the church is behind the times. It's because the church acts glacially because she knows, no, we're not just riding with the times because we're trying to be relevant today. We're planning for the next 10,000 years, and that's how the church has always been. Right, we're, and we're breathing that way, not, not reactionary. And, yeah, right. And, and, and yet, it's so funny. It's like you read some of the documents and some of the ways in which people were understanding where the world was going, 20s, 30s, and 40s, the prophets of the church, and they nailed exactly what's happening right now. They saw it as clear as day. And because they have the eyes to see bigger than just the next 10 years. Right. They're like, we see the trends of millennia, and we know that this is how human nature works. Right. We think so small and we're like, what is going to be the consequence of this thing right now? The church says, no, what has humanity done over history? That's why we look to the Old Testament. That's why the Old Testament is meant to inform the New Testament because this is the same story. The original sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden, that they wanted to be the masters of the knowledge of good and evil. We're going to decide what's right and wrong for us. It's the exact same problem that we're dealing with now. And the church is like, yeah, that's what we've been saying. Right. This isn't a new problem. But sometimes I feel like Christianity says, what are we going to do? Let's, we're flipping out because there's these new problems. And the church says, no, nah, it's the same stuff. Yep. We have to have new methodology. It's a new evangelization, right? New methodology, right. new ardor, new love. Um, new love. But it's the same stuff. And new zeal. New zeal. That's the last one. New zeal. Methods, and ardor, and zeal. Methods, ardor, and zeal. Yeah. To and deal with the perennial human issues. Which, which man, that's why, do you know that that's why I love working metal? <laughs> it's it's okay. this, it's this thing to where like you know you look and you have the copper age the bronze age mm. the iron age yeah. that like like the discovery of man in this moment where they say hold on I can make something more solid and I can I can enhance the tools that I use like mm. 
it is an ancient movement of the heart to increase the the precision and the accuracy and the strength and goodness of tools. So like literally I'm so attracted to tool making particularly because what like at the same moment like it binds us to who came before. Yes. We're still using, I mean, all, the technology that we're using, I mean, there's a little bit of advancement, but we're using the same stuff that they were doing in the 20s and the 30s. Yeah. It's just more accurate. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And faster. And, like, and, that, and that's where, like, sometimes we just, we think as a people that somehow we are so advanced because I've got a smartphone and a Google. Yeah. I can go, okay, Google, and it'll be like, boop, what do you want? You know, like, like, but which is kind of creepy, which is kind of creepy. But then you watch Star Trek, the next generation, and they still have to face. I've been watching that. I've been doing engineering drawings and watching Star Trek, the next generation in my free time. Like I did it the other night, like alone on like a, it was like a Sunday night. It felt like a Saturday night. And I was like, I feel so communed with all the geeks in the world who are like doing the same thing. But it was, but it's, but there's something beautiful about saying like, no, we're going to, we're, we still have to face our humanity no matter what kind of technology that exists within the world. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and that's where, like, dude, the holidays will always bring out humanity. So, so the church is going to say, forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord, regardless of technology or anything that we have around us. But, yeah. the, but we are bound to ancient man, and, and the prophecies of old speak to us as much now as they did before. Yeah. Because humanity hasn't changed, but are the tools... They've, they've improved. Which, um, let me see if this works. I think that ties in pretty well to the second reading that we just read at the beginning of the podcast, right? As Paul's closing his letter to the Romans, which he's, he's laid out this grand theological vision for what this all means. And, you know, essentially the thesis of the book of Romans is that in the plan of God from the beginning, the Gentiles were meant to be united into this family. God was building a family from the beginning. Um, but what he says in this closing as he wraps it up, again, in light of what you just said, brothers and sisters, him who can strengthen you, according to my gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, which is according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now manifest through the prophetic writings and according to the command of the eternal God. He's saying, he's saying essentially theologically what you just said, metallically? I don't know <laughs> yeah, yeah, that what makes word sense. to use. We're still using Resp- the same stuff but we're understanding it differently. Yes. That's essentially what he just said. This stuff has been revealed through the prophets and the writings, the will of God, but it was kept secret. We were kept from understanding it for long ages, but now through the light of Jesus Christ, it's been revealed. Yes. And you could read you know, exactly what he's saying about David here. David thought he was going to have a son who was going to build him a great house. And he, didn't, he knew those words, and he read those writings, and he heard Nathan the prophet, but he didn't really understand what that meant. Mm. Now we understand, oh, it's not new. It's not some new revelation. It's not some new prophecy. It's just that we take the same stuff that God has given us for ages, and we read it in light of Jesus Christ. Yes. So I, I think what you said is right. Which is how, like, that's how I've encountered him. Yeah. I've encountered, like, Jesus as the ancient one mm. who is present in ways that are more manifold and grace-filled. And why? Why? So that, like, in, in, and when I mean grace-filled and manifold, I mean that he's present in every culture of every time trying to prepare, the Holy Spirit's present, trying to prepare with various levels of um, inconsistencies and mm. admixture of, of misunderstanding 
But God is preparing everybody of all times to know who he is. And that if you're willing to look, you can discover who the Lord is in our own lives and in the courses of history and in the writings in, the, in a detailed, accurate, beautiful way. How? According to St. Paul and what he says here, and we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, how do we do that? Obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. And I think that's kind of the key to this. Yes. The key is, I don't understand. You have to show me, and the only way I'm going to be shown is if I'm obedient to where you lead me. Mm. And David has a great deal of obedience that's required of him. It's actually, the story of David is really beautiful because David... Here's this king who's won all of the battles. He's incredibly powerful. Everyone's going to listen to anything he says. He says, I want to build God a house. That's my plan. And Nathan the prophet says, "Mm, you know what? God's telling me I don't think that's a good idea. And, you know, you could see David, power hungry, you know, winning all the battles. I'm in charge. Who do you think you are? I want to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to build a house. That's what I'm going to do. But David has the grace, at least at this moment, of the obedience of faith. He has the eyes to see that what Nathan is saying is true. Mm. That's not what I thought. That's not what I wanted. But I'm obedient enough to the will of God that I can say, well, you are tapped into God's word. You are tapped in, Nathan, to God's will. And I'm going to be obedient to what you say, even though it's not my will. And that's what we're called to do always, right? Which is not an easy thing to do. And so as, like you said, God is preparing all times and all people for what he's going to do, the question of how you actually receive that is a question of obedience. I was talking to a men's group this morning about, I I gave a talk about the difference between Zechariah in uh, the Gospel of Luke and Simeon. Zechariah, remember who's standing in the temple as the angel Gabriel appeared to him and saying, now is the time that God's going to reveal all this. And he responds with what? Skepticism. He's like, I don't know about that. That sounds pretty fishy to me. And then you have Simeon. Sounds like a priest to me. It does. And then you have Simeon, this old man who's standing at the temple, doesn't have an angel appear to him, doesn't have this light of glory, sees a peasant family walking up the steps with a baby, and he says, yes, that. That's what I've been waiting for. Because he has the eyes of the obedience of faith. Mm. And I, I I was saying in the talk this morning, I am like Zechariah. I don't know if I'm always willing to trust what God's showing me, but I want to be like Simeon, where I see the will of God in the world and I respond appropriately. I'm a Zachariah who wants to be a Simeon. Amen, dude. I think, I think that that's, like, dude, that is, the, that is the perpetual struggle of a shepherd, actually. Yeah. I mean, and shepherding your family mm-hmm. and shepherding, because we live in this age where it's like, you know, St. Paul, he says, test everything. Yeah, right. Um, but what's hard is that as you test, there's um, yeah, a lot of things fail the test. Mm-hmm. And we can get into this mode to where we just are like fail, fail, quality control. Yeah. Things are not quality right now. Yeah. And like in these ways that you say, oh, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure. And, and then we can, then it can kill faith rather than saying like, no, when, when I get that little shimmery goodness, that little spark, and I say, oh, I will follow you, Lord, wherever you lead. Because that's, that's yeah. like the grace of conversion is when you start following that track and you're like, I will, I will follow wherever you lead, Lord. That's it. And, then you, and you know, and in your heart, you're like, oh, the Lord leads me directly. The Lord loves me directly. Which what you're articulating is exactly what the gospel is, essentially. Because here in the gospel, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the angel who, as I just mentioned, had just made this profound revelation to Zechariah, the priest and the temple in Jerusalem at the hour of the sacrifice, to which Zechariah says, "Mm, I don't know about that. 
Gabriel then jumps to a place called Nazareth, Nowheresville, backwoods place to a peasant girl, 12, 13-year-old girl named Mary. And he says, all right, now I'm going to give the big announcement. Right. right? And he gives this word, which, he, you know, it, it says we could go through, I mean, we could do an exegesis on this whole thing. It's beautiful. You, uh, the angel appears. Per- perfected in grace into the future. What? Kikarito. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. But what I want to focus on, so he says, hail filled with grace, totally filled with grace. He said, the Lord is with you. And Mary's response to that is that she's troubled and she's freaked out. And he has to respond with, be not afraid. Um, and the thing that I'm struck by in there, uh, you know, you, you can look at Mary. I had somebody ask me this morning, like, what's the difference between Zechariah's response to the angel that seems skeptic and um, Mary's response when she's like, how is this going to happen? Because I'm not married and I don't have a, you know, remember? Yeah. Um, what's the difference? Well, part of the difference, the difference, I mean, on, on face level Zechariah seems uh, to doubt it's going to happen. Mary seems to have a question of the process. Okay, it's going to happen. Tell me how. But what I think is even more important is when the, Lord, when the angel says, the Lord is with you, Mary's response to be troubled is the only proper response. Because Judith, Judith and J.L., baby. Well, I don't even know if it's that yet. Really? You can go back, though, and almost every time you see the words in the Old Testament, the Lord is with you, it's right when God is going to ask someone to do something that's going to stink. That's what I mean by Judith and oh, JL. Oh, Judith and JL, to crushing the heads, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, yeah, I think that, she gets... That, that basically, like, when, when that's said to a woman, you have Judith and JL, and they both have to go and face off alone against the head of the enemy army. But I don't think that's actually ever said... Yeah, that, that's true. You're, you're 100% right. But the times that I'm thinking of that that shows up in scripture, that line, you're thinking yeah. of the blessed among women, which is true. Oh, is that what I'm thinking yeah. of? Got which is, which is J- Judith and Jael who killed, crushed the head of the enemy, which is absolutely true. Yep. But even before we get there, when you have the words, the Lord is with you. So it said to Moses, hey, go before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, and tell him to set the people free. Don't worry, the Lord is with you. Mm. It said to Joshua, hey, <clears throat> lead the people into the promised land, even though they're way more powerful than you will ever be. Don't worry, the Lord is with you. When Jeremiah has to go and call the temple a den of robbers and thieves and probably get stoned to death, don't worry, the Lord is with you. When Elijah has to go before King Ahab and pronounce a curse on all of their gods and challenge their high priest to this competition, don't worry, the Lord is with you. That's when that term shows up. And so if Mary knows her salvation history, which I'm sure she does, and she hears the words, the The Lord Lord is is with with you, you, the automatic response should be, Uh oh, "Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, what What do you want me to do? But it is a response of, oh, no, be it done unto me according to thy word. Well, yeah, I mean, that's where, that's where it's like the purity of her heart. And, yeah. the, like, it's interesting because her, her, it's, it's a pregnancy. Yeah. What do you have to do? Pregnant. Yeah. You have to, the Lord will, will the child to be born in you will be called holy. And you're like, what? And Wait, what? You're like, huh? Yeah. And you will name him Emmanuel. But everything he says here, that shows up in Matthew. What he says in Luke is basically a paraphrase, if not a direct quote, of exactly what the first reading is. And again, for those who have the eyes to look at salvation history and see, David is told he's going to have this son who's going to have the throne of his father forever and he'll rule over the house of Jacob. Um, He's going to have this kingdom which will be from end to end. And you're like, oh yeah, Solomon, who's going to build this great house? No, you actually have to wait a couple thousand years until Gabriel shows up and says, remember that prophecy that was given to David? Yeah, it's now. 
You've been patient for a long time with the obedience of faith. Now, in the last place that anyone would think to look, to the last person that anyone would think to look to, yeah, it's happening. This is the son that was foretold to David. This is the son that Nathan spoke about out of his dream. It's now, it's today. Which is such a beautiful reflection as we finish up Advent, right? Yeah, because and, 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 we're literally, it is today. It is today. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, it, Christmas but it, is today. But it's both. It's today because this happened 2,000 years ago. But it's also, you might be waiting another 10,000 years before you actually see this in its fullness. The sun has come. The kingdom has been established, but sure doesn't feel like it yet. Well, dude, that's where, like, man, the touch point from a couple weeks ago when St. Peter in his letter said, remember this one thing, brothers. Mm. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. What many consider delay is not delay. Right, right. To which I say, if that's the case, if that's the case, then, you know, Lord, is is a dollar like a million (laughs) dollars? Oh, jeez. And a million dollars is a dollar to you? He says, how a million dollars is a dollar? Well, then lend me a dime. That was not funny at all. No, it was but, funny. It was, it was good. No, so the Lord does not delay, but uh, in what we consider delay. Yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't see it before, but just literally just now, I was struck by the last line of the reading that we get this week. Mm. It ends by saying, and then the angel departed from her. And you're just like, see ya. Peace. Good luck. Which... <laughs> And I don't, I don't think it's as negative as, it, as I'm portraying it, but there is a certain level of we're going to celebrate Christmas. The Lord has come. Right. He has reconciled all things back to himself, forgiven all sin, defeated death, trampled down death by death. But guess what? He ascended into heaven. Hmm. And we're left with the eyes of faith to try to deduce what to do with that. Now, he's still here. He's in the Eucharist. He lives in our hearts. He's guiding us. But there is this sense of like, but the angel departed. He, he left. He ascended into heaven. I thought we were there. Yeah, you are there, but you're going to have to be patient for a little while longer. I don't, I, don't know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say exactly, but that line, then the angel, hey, you're going to change the world, and it's going to be incredibly hard. See ya. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Dude, I, now I, I have to have the obedience of faith. Well, you know what? I was reflecting on this at the Immaculate Conception. Mm. Um, is like, dude, just imagine, the Lord has put onto the heart of Gabriel this message. He is entrusted. He's the Nathan. The most important message that has ever been conveyed to anybody. Don't blow it. Don't blow this one. <laughs> and imagine the, the fullness of, of experience mm. that the angel Gabriel has going to marry. Because mm. it's a question. Mm. Will you do this? Which Mary could have said no. no absolutely. And imagine everybody is looking on. All of oh. heaven. The entire world holds its breath. Shoot, as, Gabriel, you asked it wrong. You asked this wrong. <laughs> Wait, let me rephrase this. He's, he's like standing in the mirror. He's like, he's like. Okay, will you? Okay, your son is going to be the Kakari Tomi. He's like, Greek, Hail Greek. Mary. Hail Mary. Hail Mary. You know, like, it's, like, it's like funny. It's, and so that then, didn't actually happen, but it's yeah, a funny reflection. I know, it's a funny reflection. I know, I'm just saying. But then, but then he asks the question, and the the pause, the moment that pause, that pause, but where all of heaven and earth waits, and all of salvation is hinged upon, and she says, "Let it be done to me according to your word, fiat." Mm. And you're like, "Ah, and then he's like, she had no idea in that moment of pause, that breath, however long it is, she takes, she has no idea what she's holding. 
in her hands there. Well, I don't know. I think she well, has maybe the she beatific does. vision. I think. Do you she, think so? I think that there is a clarity of vision that she says yes because of the words, of precisely what you just said. You know, like, um, you know, the Lord is with you. She's like, oh, yeah, hold on. She can because her intellect is not darkened by sin. Right. That's true. Her will is not darkened by sin. Her yeah. perception. She walks clearly with God. That's true. And so there's this certain sense where she is measured, she understands, she's taking everything to herself, and she gets what she's just about to ask to be done. And that's what makes it so powerful, I think, hmm. is that she, she may not see all the details, but she has a clarity of hmm. what she's saying yes to, knowing that this hmm. is going to demand everything of her. Hmm. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it's, it's in that moment when she says yes that it's, it's, it's like, Frodo, will you take the ring to Mordor? And he's like, yes, but I do not know the way. And mm. and then you cry because you say, oh my gosh, you're so little. Yeah. And yeah. and you're in the in the in the company of the mighty ones, and mm. here you are gonna in your humility say yes to this task mm. that it has been described to you. There's this certain sense of what this means, but you but the but the the profundity and the experience of it is not yet experienced. That's that's why like when the angel departs from her. Yeah. Exactly like what you're saying. The angel goes, and it's like, okay, I I stand alone before God, mm-hmm. who is going to build a house for me and His people, and I will now, in obedience of faith, follow after what He has said. And where is He building that house? Bethlehem. In my belly. In my belly. I mean, think about that, though. Yeah. I mean, I say that you know, humor- humorously, but that's where the house is being built. Right. Incubating in her in her womb. <laughs> But you're like, David had no clue. Nathan could have never known. I mean, the ways that God is going to choose Ooh, to bring these things to fruition. That's really poetic, actually. Isn't it? Because it's it's not that, it's you know, it's like, yeah, the Lord builds the house. It's like, yeah. ah, it's really poetic the way you just framed that. And so, it's probably a fitting place to... <sighs> yeah, I just got to like hang out with the beauty of that. So God mm. bless you all and... Uh, we got a chance to talk to some of you who were so generous um, during our campaign. And if you're ever feeling like being generous again, we would love for you to be able to join us in this mission. Uh, it is, it's really just tremendous uh, how much support you guys have given us. It is. And we just want to take a moment to thank all of you for being a part of this, of this lanky, weird, lanky community that we have. <laughs> and, and we really are humbled by the fact that you guys listen every week. 16,000 of you, which is just nuts. I'm sure none of you are listening this week. But, you know, but for your support and your, for your prayers and your generosity and supporting this podcast and, and the entire ministry of the Catholic Center here in Boulder. And so, again, if you're interested in becoming a benefactor to the Catholic Center and, and being a part of this mission, please um, go to thomascenter.org, find our website, and learn. God bless you all. Have a very, very happy fourth Sunday of Advent Christmas experience. And we will see you next week. (laughs) Okay, bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.